Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here today. I say it every week, but it's true. It's a good day to praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I can't hear you. It's a good day to praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Let's stand and praise the Lord together. Yeah. 
did he rescue you? Amen. Hey. Yeah, you guys got to get that hey part in there. I know. I almost said it at the wrong time, though. I, I get confused up there, but yeah, it wouldn't be the first time I got it at the wrong time, would it? Well, good to see you all. Hey, I, several of you, I think, stayed all night long, uh, been here all night because I saw you last night and everybody was having a great time. What an incredible event was put on by Annabelle and Jack and all of you who took part. So many people were part of it. This was transformed. For those of you that weren't here last night, this was transformed into a beautiful dining area with some of the best looking waiters that have ever been. <laughs> what? Uh, and and it, was, it was incredible. The, the table spreads were amazing and what everything went so well. And thank you all for the parts that you played. Now, this is, this is, you know, God has a sense of humor. Do you know that? God has a sense of humor. So we moved everything out, moved tables in. Last night, moved everything back in, and people didn't get out of here until after 9 o'clock doing that. And guess what we got to do after church today? Move all the chairs out because we're having the carpet cleaned in the morning. So uh, close the doors so none of the guys leave, okay? <laughs> guys, we'll need your help. We can put them in the side rooms or a patio or wherever, but we'll need to clear the whole stage. So you know what? I hope you're happy today in the Lord. I hope you have the joy of the Lord that abides in your heart. I know that I'm happy that Fred's back here today. So it's been a long time. Should I tell him that you flipped a golf cart? Should I tell him that? You already did. Okay. He flipped a golf cart. Reason number 163 why I do not golf. Uh, so, yeah, he flipped the golf cart, and, uh, but he's back now, and we're so thankful for that. And Bobby's back, and be praying. continue to pray for his dad. Uh, he is, uh, they've moved him into a, a special living home, so uh, just pray that he increases his strength. Huh? Oh, he's at home. That's a special living home. That's right. Okay. All right. Good deal. So we're glad he's back. And I want you to pray for uh, Anita Webb and for Gary's sister, uh, Donna, back here in the back. Um, Gary Webb had an appointment with God last week and went to be with him. So we'll have the service uh, at Ocean View Church in South San Diego on December the 15th at 10 a.m. So we, we're going to miss Gary quite a bit. So let's pray right now. Would you join me? Our fathers, we bow together. Lord, we do have your joy, but in the midst of joy, there's, there's sorrow and there's suffering and there's heartaches and heartbreaks and losing a good incredible friend like Gary, uh, losing a husband for Anita, losing a brother for Donna and for uh, Jerry and for Bobby. Lord, that's a difficult thing. And I know that uh, his mom and dad were waiting for him, and I thank God for that knowledge. And uh, Lord, there are many others, family members as well. So I pray, God, that you would bless uh, the family as we have the services a week from this coming Saturday. I pray that everything would honor you and honor the Lord uh, in, in a special way, and that it would be an honor to Gary and the young man that he was and is and ever shall be. Father, we ask you to uh, forgive us of our sins and bless us in this service. Lord, you are our guest of honor. We invite you to come here and to be in this service, because if you don't, then we should just go on home and do something else. So, Father, this is your house, your service. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, Amen.
Amen. Thank you, and be seated. And we have, uh, we have two people who are visiting from Washington State I got to meet. You will recognize them because they have moss on their north side. And uh, <laughs> we're glad to have them here. And we're glad to have all of our visitors. So if I didn't get to meet you, if you're a first-time guest, here's what I'd like for you to do. Are these in the seat backs in front of you? Are they, I don't even know if, didn't know if they had time to put them all in. So if you are a first-time guest, please fill this out. And you can give it to us, or you can put it in the offering box back in the back by the double doors. And for filling it out, we will give you a Starbucks card and appreciation for your taking time to do that. And I promise you, we won't abuse the list. We won't give it out. We won't sell it. You just want to be able to uh, know who you are and, and welcome you in a proper way. So please fill those out. Also today, going to be preaching on Luke's revelation of the righteous. And we'll have a communion service, so prepare your hearts for that. The Bible tells us that if we're going to have communion around the Lord's table, that we're to examine our hearts and just ask God sometime between now and when we do it, Lord, is there anything in my heart that needs to be confessed to you? Is there anyone I need to make things right with and and commit to God to make them right at your earliest opportunity? Um, And then we'll remove all the chairs. And then uh, Navigator is going to put them back on Tuesday night. And then we may take them out again next week. Who knows? But we'll more on that later on. Windsurfers will meet today. You're meeting on the patio for windsurfers. That's our teen ministry. And tonight at 515 is the last presentation of Christmas. What's it called? Christmas Story Tree. That's what we call it, right? Yes. December nights or something. But don't tell anybody. It's really Christmas celebration. So, and it's 5:15 at Balboa Park at the at the Banshell. What do they call that? Oregon Pavilion. Yeah, yeah. So, not 5:30. 5:15. Okay. Monday carpets will be clean. Uh, Thursday, Pearl Harbor Day, day of infamy. Um, I know some of you remember it very well. We used to have uh, a friend at the other church who was actually Hawaiian, lived on the island and was there when uh, December 7th took place, and she had some amazing stories. In fact, it was, on, it was live streamed when they made it. It may still be archived on the, on the web. Um, Comer, Carmen Comer. I don't even check it out. Maybe it's still there. So it was an amazing thing. Next Sunday, when a nobody becomes a somebody, that is a Christmas message. And then right after that, uh, we'll have a trustee meeting, so we'll meet, plan on meeting for that. Uh, Christmas Eve, going to be services at 10 o'clock in the morning and 5 p.m. that night is our candlelight service. Um, I have one of these, and uh, James has the other one, and we're going to start passing these out. This is for a Bible study that's starting for ladies Friday, January the 5th, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. in the sanctuary. Child care is available, it says. So go ahead and pass those out, and any ladies who would like to take advantage of that, I know it'll be a well-taught uh, Sherry will teach that class. It'll be a, a good study. And all right, I think all of that is done. So, what's that? Uh, thank you all for everyone who took care of all the kids, all the, all the next, next Sunday is the last week to get those in. We've gotten a few in, but that's the next last Sunday. So, be sure to bring them this week or next Sunday. Anytime this week or next Sunday. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Fitz. All right, and uh, David Preston, uh, I used to know him when he was like down here somewhere, and uh, thank God that God brought him back into this area, and he's got something exciting to share with you that he's involved in, so listen up. Thank you, Pastor. Yep. 
I'll take uh, no more than five minutes. But uh, anyways, okay. You got it. <laughs> I, wanted to, I want to say something real quick, though. Last night, some of the men and I, we got to help out, and uh, it was an absolute blessing to see what FBC is doing in the community. That, to me, was uh, something that I was pleased to take part in with my son and with the pastor and the pastor's son to see Ben here. And one of the key messages in that uh, uh, event last night with Mrs. Bays and the other ladies that were hosting each table was to, uh, to, to live out the commandment that God has given us, and the greatest commandment that is, and, and that is to love God with all that heart, mind, and soul, and uh, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And so hopefully, real quick, what I'm about to share with you is a little sample of that and, and what we're doing, not just here in the community, but globally. So summer in the USA, if you don't know what it is, it is uh, essentially a program that's a month long, and it's an at-home, cross-cultural mission for church and family. It's essentially, essentially hospitality in Jesus' name. So I know you see the pictures of me. I'm going to go over them real quick. But before I do, I actually have a new role, and that's why I'm up here. Uh, I've taken over the position that Chris Pabasco used to uh, be in charge of here in San Diego, which was the lead coordinator for SUSA. And I've taken that position, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what I'm asking for, why I need it, and hopefully what we get in return. And I thought the best way to do that is to kind of real quick just go show you a little about my life, but through pictures. That first picture you see where it says David Preston, that's me. And that picture is very special to me because I was actually a first grader at Midway Baptist, and that's which is now Ocean View, if you don't know. And it was there when I first heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was there when I first heard about missions. It was there when I would see these buses packed with kids that Pastor Bays and his ministry team would go around San Diego and pick up kids and take them back. I remember being in chapel and hearing Pastor Bays' message about Jesus Christ and his love for the lost. And here I am today to be able to stand here and take part in this ministry is an absolute blessing. So, Pastor, thank you. Up there on the middle, you see me. That's over there. I'm at Young Life Camp. I actually, when I got in the high school here, and for those of you who don't know, I'm actually, I was born here on the island on February 14th, 1981. Uh, grew up in Imperial Beach and went to middle school and high school here. So I, I love both towns. They're both home to me. And while I was here in high school, I got introduced to Young Life. And it was that Young Life really where I began to really take off on serving Christ, living out that, that love the Lord thy God, love thy neighbor as thyself, and I went to work crew in Woodleaf for about a month, and I worked in what was called the pits. So I'm back here now. I'm on the committee with Young Life, and I'm thankful for that. I get to serve my community. Awesome. Over to the right, uh, top right, that's my family. I have four kids, Jedediah, Abigail, Liberty, Enoch, and my beautiful wife. I lived in Europe in the, in the, in the middle of the picture right there. I lived in Europe for about two and a half years. And there I was able to serve uh, military kids. Uh, I took a group of high school kids to Spain. That specifically is Ala Maria, Spain. And a little trivia there is that's actually a Moore Castle, and that's actually where they filmed part of the movie Patton. If you've seen the movie Patton, it's a great movie. So I was in Europe after high school, did Young Life, went to Europe, got to experience uh, just what it's like to live in another, another world, another country. Came back, and as you see, I mentioned my wife. Uh, I met her in Georgia. I asked, her to meet, I asked her to marry me three weeks after meeting her, and as you know, we got married. <laughs> and, yeah, you're not. 
Exactly. Yeah, you do need a counselor. No. <laughs> uh, but, here, but we were living on the East Coast. Instead of me coming back here after living in Europe, I decided to go to Georgia. My family moved to Georgia while I was away in Europe. And one of the main reasons why was because I, I wanted to be closer to God. And I needed a lot of spiritual uh, guidance, a lot of, a lot of accountability. Because being here in San Diego, I called it Never Never Land. Uh, so I literally got out. As soon as I graduated from high school, I shipped out. I went to Europe and uh, went out on my own and served. Not on the, I was on the, the civilian side for the Department of Defense. So it was great. But came back to the United States, served uh, my community in, in around the D.C. area, uh, got married, had to grow my family and everything. And we're like, look, we got to do something more than just what we're doing here. So just before the pandemic in 2019, God put it on my heart that I should move back to specifically not California, but Imperial Beach and Coronado. And I would tell that to Governor uh, Newsom if I could. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed, I don't know if you saw the last debate uh, recently between the best and the worst governors, is uh, Governor DeSantis actually said something that I actually absolutely agree with. And he said that Coronado is one of the most beautiful places that he's ever been to in his life. And you have to actually have to work to ruin it. And so hopefully we we'll, we'll, won't ruin it here. But with all that said, is when we came back to the, the West Coast, we came back with the ultimate purpose. Where can we thrive the most? Where can we have the most spiritual impact? Yes, we could do it in the D.C. area. Yes, we can do it in Georgia, where, where we're planted. But this is specifically where we think we can do it the most with my family and my kids. So thankfully, I've been a member here now for just about a year and a half. And we are doing our absolute best to be a light in this community. I'm thankful to be part of the Young Life Committee. It's an honor, as you see, I'm, I'm back. I, I'm, I was, you know, eight, 20 plus years ago, I was at Will Leaf Camp. Uh, real quick, go back to that photo. Go back to the photo, uh, the, the middle one. And I'm also thankful to uh, be part of the water polo team. And that gentleman right here to the right is Chris Rabasco. And him and I became good friends through the water polo club. And also he came up here and he mentioned this thing called SUSA. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You get to bring over kids from Europe and be able to minister them and be a missionary in many ways. Well, Chris right there, that's at a baseball game, a Padre game. And I took him there as a gift to saying goodbye because he ended up having to go. He moved to, to the Washington State. And so I knew, I knew what was coming. He was going to ask me to take a spot. And uh, I did. I accepted because we came here to thrive. We came here to do what God has told us to do and to serve the community, serve our church, and be a light not only here but in the world around us. So Chris asked me to take over. So you can go to the next photo. Uh, so Chris asked me to take over, and I was like, okay, let's do this. And that group right there is the 2023 SUSE group that came over. And I want to tell you, this church had an instrumental part in, in this ministry. Uh, of the, uh, there was seven kids that were brought over here. Three of them were served specifically from this church. Four indirectly from this church. The Blumenthal's contributed an extra family member, and I and contributed extra three other families. This church is a small but mighty church, and they had a key part in Sousa and San Diego. So now the, the, the task has been put not just on my shoulders, but I think also on, our church, on, on the church's shoulders. And so what I want to do is I simply am being tasked with asking for your support. And I'm being told that I have to raise $3,000. You're like, 3000 bucks, that's a lot of money. And I'm like, I know. So... I'm going to be going to Spain to meet a lot of these students, to minister to these families, to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them in their schools, meet with them in their houses. And in order to do that, I need financial support. 
Susa has come up with the ultimate price of $3,000. The flight is somewhere around $700, plus the uh, cost of uh, room and board is uh, just over $2,000. It's a lot of money. I don't like asking for money, to be honest. Okay, that's not my thing. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I think right now this church has an opportunity to serve globally. And I'm just an extension of the church. I'm not getting paid. Um, this is really all volunteerism to me. Come July of the next year, my family and other families in this church, I'm confident will be servants, spending their own money, taking these kids all around California and parts of the United States and showing them what the love of Jesus is like. But I do need financial support. And, and, and why? As you can see, we need to keep the door open for the Sousa students to come to the United States, to come to Coronado, to be able to come and hear the preaching of Pastor Bays and other great pastors around the community, and to be able to have a blessing in your life. That's just a group of people, but what you don't see is the families that they're connected, the friends that they're connected to. So it multiplies beyond belief. And so I'm asking the church if in any way if I can get the support to go to Spain in January and February to support the Sousa students and to bring them back home. Uh, so whenever, in any way you can, I'd greatly appreciate it. In return, as you see, we keep the door open. We're able to minister. We're able to spread the gospel of Christ. And we're able to live out, you know, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. And love thy neighbor as thyself. So, Pastor, thank you. It's an honor for me to be up here. And anyone, if you have any questions, please come up to me after the service. I'll be outside handing out some flyers and uh, answering any questions. So, God bless. Thank you, David. So... So how do we do this? There's two ways at least that you can do this. He'll be out front. You can uh, slip him, a, you know, all, all your hundreds that you have in your wallet if you'd like to, uh, or you can write a check and give it to him directly, or you can give it to the church and we will redirect it to him. Uh, so let's see if we can raise that $3,000. So the, in front of you should be some envelopes uh, that you could use if you wanted to, for the Susa, uh, for David's trip, and it is, he's a missionary coming from... First Baptist Church, Coronado. So we're honored to be able to, and I love this guy. I, I, I've loved him. I mean, loved him when he was a kid. He was honorary, but I loved him as a kid. <laughs> he's still honorary, but I love him as an adult. So uh, he'll, he'll do, he's going to do a job with his Susa. I just know he will. So let's have a part in that. Let's stand as we worship the Lord together.
Father, we realize the race is over for Gary. The race is not over for us yet. So whatever we do, we do it through Christ, in the name of Christ, for the glory of Christ, our Savior who set us free, who redeemed us through his shed blood. We're so grateful for the birth of Christ as we think about this Advent season, but we're also thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for without that, we would still be lost and in our sins. Thank you for every person you've brought to be here this morning, Lord. This is a special congregation, never assembled exactly as it is right now, and never will be again. So, Father, bless us, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. Turn to Luke chapter 1, and all the boys and girls, before you go to your class, would you come right on down here for just a minute? I've got something I want to talk to you about, something I want to share with you. I have a good question for you, so come on down, boys and girls. All righty. Um, let me ask you the question. I got a, Everybody ready? Got your thinking caps on? Put your thinking caps on. Got your thinking caps on? Okay. Can God use you. Can God use you? What do you think? Think so? Some of you, yeah. Some of you are not so sure. But you're just kids, right? Yeah. So far. But are you rich? Well, maybe you are. Maybe you aren't. But in Christ, we're all rich. Are you powerful? Are you famous? Are you handsome or beautiful? I think you all are good looking. That's what I think. Everyone. But you know what? God can use you even as children. Remember when David took on Goliath? David was a young boy, probably a teenage boy, and he killed the giant. Remember that? Remember when the little boy had fish and loaves of bread and he fed, he gave it to Jesus, and Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. That's an amazing thing. It was a little boy God used. And then there was a little girl who told her general that if she went to Israel, there was a prophet in Israel, and he could heal this general. It was a little girl that told him that. And remember when Jesus was in the temple? He was 12 years old, reasoning with all of the doctors and lawyers and scribes in the temple. Remember when the disciples tried to keep the children away from the Lord? Jesus rebuked them and said, allow the little children to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Timothy was a young man when he wrote the book uh, he, he became a, a follower, rather, of Jesus Christ, and, and Paul wrote him a, a book called the book of Timothy. And Mary was not very old at all when she had baby Jesus. So, yes, God can use you. In fact, let me ask one more question. Everybody up here, listen, listen up. Did any of you pray for those children I gave you pictures of last week? Guess what? Some of them got sent home. They got freed. And I think some of you praying had something to do with that because the Bible says the prayers of an effectual, fervent person are, are important. And you know what? You prayed for those kids. Some of them got to come home. Let's pray the rest of them get to come home. And in fact, except we come as a little child, moms and dads, none of us can see the kingdom of God. None of us can be in heaven. We've got to come in faith believing like these children up here believe what they're told. So let's pray that... God will release the rest of these young people. Father, I pray for the hostages in Israel, not just the young people, but I pray that these children would especially pray for those children because they have the blessings here of being free and being able to worship and being able to go out and eat and be able to go home, be safe, and no bombs are falling on their homes and no, no shots are being fired in their neighborhoods, and I thank you for that. 
but not all children are that blessed. So God, be with the innocents over there, both in Israel and in Palestine, the, the innocents in Gaza. But uh, Father, for those who would perpetrate such great and heinous evil, may justice be done, and we trust you to do it in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and go to your classes, and thank you for being here, boys and girls. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, today's message is uh, not as much a Christmas message as it is a revelation of the kind of people that God uses and that God has used to give us our Savior and to give us his gospel. It's kind of a pre-Christmas message, which is, is right because uh, John was born before Jesus, so about a six-month ahead of time, uh, pre-Christmas message. Some people are really mistaken about the kind of people that God uses. We, we get in our minds sometimes, because we think of people like Dwight Moody and Billy Sunday and, uh, and Billy Graham and maybe Mother Teresa. We think of people like that who are extraordinary people, amazing people. They must, they're almost superhuman. And we think that in order for God to use someone, they've got to be probably kind of superhuman. They're exceptional in every way. And we poor mortals, mortals like us, couldn't possibly uh, be used the way that they've been used. Well, uh, I want to question that. Today's story begins with a couple whose names were Zacharias and Elizabeth. Uh, Zacharias, also known as Zechariah in the Old Testament, same name, different people, same name. Zacharias and Elizabeth would give birth to John the Baptist. Now, I just want to say it wasn't John the Episcopalian. It wasn't John the Methodist. Okay, I just want to throw that out there. It wasn't John the Lutheran. And I probably already offended a visitor, and I'm sorry. I, I, that was just the funny. He was John the Baptizer. He wasn't a member of the Baptist church. Well, maybe he was. I don't know. He, he was prepared the way of the Lord. And John, according to Jesus, was the greatest man born of woman. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 7, I know you're in Luke 1. Stay there. I'll be there in a minute. In Matthew 11, 7, as soon as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, John the Baptist, what went you out to the wilderness to see? Did you go to see a reed blown about with every false wind? Uh, what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Uh, by the way, our guys last night looked really spiffy in their black shirts, white ties, and I mean white shirts and black pants and red ties. That I got, is that right? Did I say it right? Bow ties. Not just any kind of tie. They looked, but that's not the way John the Baptist dressed. He was more a camel skin and you know leather belt kind of guy eating, eating locusts and wild honey. And behold, they wear soft clothing or in kings' houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. This is Jesus speaking. For he it is of whom I've written. Behold, I send my messenger before my face, who shall prepare the way before me. John's job was to prepare the way. For Jesus Christ, and the, the, the terminology there, uh, the metaphoric reference is uh, people would prepare the roadway before a king would travel on it, uh, taking care of the potholes, straightening it out, making sure everything's smooth and as comfortable as possible, and then the king would come on a prepared road. G John the Baptist was a preparer of the road for Jesus as he would come upon the scene. And th then Jesus closes this passage by saying, verily or truly I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. And of 8 billion people who are in the world today, 8 billion of them have been born of a woman. Not one of them has been born of a man. Just wanted to point that out, okay? Uh, 
I don't know why. I just felt led to say that. But uh, among those that are born of woman, there's not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Wait a minute. You mean uh, Isaiah? John the Baptist? I mean, Jesus said it, right? Well, you, what about Moses? John the Baptist said, or Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest born of woman. Notwithstanding, he that is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So it's an amazing passage there in and of itself. John would prepare the way of the Lord. And with John playing such a significant role in the preparation of the gospel being spread into the world, therefore, he must have been extraordinary. His parents must have been extraordinary people for God to bless them and let them be the parents of like this, right? Maybe their feet didn't even quite touch the ground when they walked, you know, and maybe they could walk on water. I don't think so. They were righteous, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 6, we'll read in a moment, but were they superhuman? Were they extraordinary in a sense uh, that, that, they, that we can't even attain to? Uh, were they treated like spiritual royalty by God? First point is this, righteous people do not live in ideal situations. Did, did you know that? If you are righteous, if you're trusting Christ as your personal Savior, there's something or several somethings about your life that are not ideal. Situations crop up. All of us, man that's born of woman, and again, that's everybody, uh, is a few days and full of trouble. So troubles come to all of us. But Luke chapter 1, verse 5 says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, and he really wasn't the king. He was a tetrarch. Uh, but he acted as the king of that area, uh, a ruler of one-fourth of the kingdom right then. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, meaning Jehovah remembers. I think that's significant. Uh, Zacharias doesn't realize what's about to happen here yet. Uh, of the course of Abia, or Abijam, the king of Judah, Rehoboam's son. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron. His wife, Elizabeth, had descended from the royal priesthood. Um, this Aaron was Moses' brother. He was the first high priest. And you remember when God called Moses to go back to Egypt to get the people delivered from the bondage and from slavery, uh, Moses made up all kinds of excuses. And one of them was, I, I can't talk very, very well. I, I, I stutter. And I, I, okay, okay, okay. God was running out of patience at this point with all these excuses. He said, I'm going to send Aaron to be your spokesman then. Aaron can do you know what? Aaron never got a chance to say a word. Did you ever notice that? It was all Moses from that time on. But she descended from this priestly line, and her name was Elizabeth, meaning my God is an oath. And they were both righteous, conforming to the rules of God, before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord. They were blameless in the sense that they were unspotted. No one could accuse them, not in the sense of sinless. They were not. There's no one ever been born sinless except for Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. So she was, no one could accuse her. There was nothing obvious in her life uh, that anybody could, could accuse her of. And, and they had no child. They, were, uh, they had not had any children because Elizabeth was barren or sterile, and they both were now well-stricken in years. The words well-stricken in years means they were really old. That's exactly what it means there. Though righteous, uh, their desire for children had not been realized. And I think most young couples who are healthy young couples, I think most of them, although demographically, there's some things changing that are troubling in our country. Uh, the, the low birth rate is a troubling thing. We are headed at our present birth rate at, at a descent to be a descending power. That's the fact. Uh, we, we are not 
only repl- we're not even replenishing the population at this point. We are decreasing in population, and more and more people are electing not to have children, and more and more people are waiting until they're older not to have children, which can complicate things. That's a whole other message. I don't know why I'm doing that. But anyhow, <laughs> God put us on the earth to, to have children and, and to, to rule and to reign the earth. So that's why we're here. Uh, so I believe their desire early on would have been to have children, Zacharias and Elizabeth wanted to have children. It was a a reproach uh, to an Israeli woman if she could not have children, actually. Uh, So they were probably like most happy couples. But these were unhappy days. These were the days of Herod uh, and Herod's reign, 37 to 4 B.C. They were not happy at all. They were oppressed people. There were a lot of difficulties. Um, And and so Elizabeth uh, and Zacharias were serving the Lord best they could in these less than ideal situations. And, And Elizabeth... Uh, Zacharias was blessed to marry, uh, as he was told to as a priest, only a virgin of Israel, and, and he had the double blessing of marrying a woman who was not only a virgin, but also in the lineage of the priesthood. So it was a double blessing. The piety of this couple is brought out in the adjectives in the text, in the English version, of righteous and blameless. Uh, again, not that they were sinless, but they were walking according to the word of God. And all outward appearances, they were serving God faithfully. And this made their childless state even harder for them to understand, possibly, because people believed that God would bless them uh, by giving them children. So to underscore the situation, since this is Luke writing, and we know Luke was what? What was his profession? A doctor. He was a physician. And so to underscore it, Luke writing this says they were well-stricken in years, which is an allusion to the fact that they were too old to have children, or so thought the doctors. Can you relate to Elias, uh, to uh, Zacharias, rather, and Elizabeth? Not necessarily because you're barren or advanced in years, either one, but because there's something in your life situation that makes you realize we're in much less than an ideal world. Maybe there are physical problems, physical limitations. The older I get, the more they crop up. So, so I know some of you think I'm, sometimes I'll be talking to you and I'll, I don't hear what you're saying. I've got, I've got to turn my ears on now. Used to, they worked automatically, but now I have to turn my ears on. And, and sometimes I have to turn it up when you talk real low. And then somebody drops something behind me and it jars me. Uh, and then I put my glasses on when I'm, I wear my contacts on Sunday because I'm vain. Uh, and so, hey, it is what it is. And, but I, I wear my glasses and they hit the little buttons on the, uh, on the hearing aids and they go crazy. And then I get a phone call while I'm preaching a sermon and my ringtone is, you know, crowns, uh, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you and that's going on in my head. Or I'll be talking to you, and all of a sudden, Siri will say, I don't know, I don't know. Would you like me to check that out? And I'm like, would you shut up? And so, so the older you get, physical limitations, problems, got to have a cane, have trouble seeing, uh, all kinds of things happen. So these are, these are less than ideal things, physical problems, unemployment problems, maybe not having a job, maybe being underemployed. Is that a thing, being underemployed and not, not yeah, not making what you should be able to make in a job uh, that would be a better job. Maybe marriage is not what you thought it would be. Maybe uh, your marriage is, is going through some difficulty and you're co- coping with all of that. Maybe children are out of control. If you have children at some point, they are out of control. Uh, <laughs> children in the Greek means out of control. Uh, 
Maybe finances are a challenge. Gasoline's so expensive and taxes and food is going up like crazy. And uh, I, I mean, we're in less than ideal situations, but we're a lot better off than they are in Ukraine right now. We're a lot better off than they are in Israel and in Gaza right now. We need not to magnify the things that are not perfect, but magnify the blessings of Almighty God that we share and that we have. Do we feel less than appreciated because of our difficulties? Should things be more ideal? I look in my Bible and I look at people like Daniel who wound up in the lion's den. That wasn't ideal. I look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were cast into a fiery furnace heated up seven times hotter than it had been before, and the guards who threw them in were consumed by the fire, but the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were walking around in there and saying, you know, somebody send us a sweater because we're a little bit chilly in this furnace, this fiery furnace. They didn't really say that, but uh, they came out of the furnace without any smell of smoke upon them. I can be around a campfire for five minutes and I smell like a burning dump because the smoke comes right at me and sticks to me, I guess. So, uh, so what about these guys were spiritual giants, yet they were not living in ideal situations. You look at Joseph, that less, you talk about less than ideal. His brothers sell him into slavery. They're jealous of him, sell him into slavery. He winds up in Egypt. He gets there. He's doing a great job for Potiphar, and, and then Potiphar's wife wants to yeah, and so she accuses him falsely of attacking her, and so he gets thrown in jail. He can't get much worse than that. In jail, he becomes a steward. He gets a responsibility. He's respected. He's very fruitful. Uh, baker and butcher get cast in. He lists, uh, cupbearer, rather, and, and he goes ahead, and, and they get, one of them gets freed. One of the other one's killed, uh, and finally, finally, the cupbearer remembers. I remember there was somebody in prison who answered my he explained my dreams, and, and, that's, and, and so, so he needed to bring Joseph out of prison. He became second in, power, in, the, in the power of Egypt. What about Paul? There's a whole litany of things that happened to Paul, a whole litany of things. I mean, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, whipped, beaten. I mean, on and on and on it goes. What about Jesus? They crucified him. Talk about less than ideal situations. So in so many ways, we have it very good. We have it, and we are, we are blessed. Our world's not ideal, but it never has been since the fall. One day it's going to be ideal again. One day the earth is going to be recreated, the heavens are going to be recreated, and, and, and all of the effects of sin are going to be gone, and we will dwell eternally in God's presence. Rick, that book I gave you this morning, it'll talk a little bit about that. And, and if, you're a, if you're an architect, maybe you'll be an architect in heaven. I don't know. I, maybe I'll be a preacher in heaven. I, if not, I'd like to be a soloist in heaven. I'd like to be able to sing. I really would like to be I like music. I just can't. Yeah, Okay. And you can be a golf instructor. Yeah. <laughs> Righteous people do not live in ideal circumstances. Don't feel shortchanged because you're, you don't live in ideal circumstances. I read something this morning. I loved it in my devotion. It said, Jesus knew you a million years ago. His foreknowledge, he knew you. 
And it's foreknowledge. He predestinated you in Christ. If he foreknew you were going to receive Christ as personal Savior, his, his will, it was not a determinate will that he was going to make you get saved if you, you didn't have a choice in the matter because of predestination or whatever. He was predestinated in Christ. Once, we, once we, he knew we were going to receive him, then he's predestined. He's got a plan for us. But he knew you a million years ago. You say, well, my parents were. God knew who your parents were going to be. And he gave them to you anyhow to turn you in and make you into the person that he wants you to be. Well, I have this difficulty. Well, God knows what your difficulties are. And God still blessed you and created you and gave you a life. We don't live in an ideal. Get out of your mind. If you're going to wait for an ideal situation, it's not going to happen until the kingdom is here. Second point is this. Righteous people, holy cow. See, you don't live in an ideal world. Preacher's long-winded today, I'll tell you. Righteous people, it was David's fault. Righteous people can enjoy God's perfect timing. Luke chapter 1, verse 8, it came to pass that while he was executed, executing, while he executed, he wasn't executed, while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course with his daily administrations, they were given this job of, of taking care of the incense one week at a time, um, and then another responsibility would be giving given to the priest. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot or his job or his act of service was to burn incense when he went into the temple and the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of the incense. Now, this daily ritual at the temple included uh, morning and evening sacrifices. And when the burnt offerings were made before the morning and evening sacrifice, incense was offered. So this was integral to the whole worship system of Israel. They started with the altar of incense, which was typical of prayers. Uh, and he only got to do that, I said, one week. Some people, some priests never got to do it because there were a large number of priests, about 18,000 priests, and all the duties had to rotate around among these 18,000 priests. So, so usually a priest would do this once in their entire lifetime. Did I say the second point? Righteous people can enjoy God's perfect timing. The one time that Zacharias gets to do the incense is the one time that we're going to find out Gabriel appears to him in the temple. Zacharias was faithful, no matter the disappointing circumstances. Aside from the fact he didn't have children, he was dutifully performing his assigned task. His, his being faithful led to his being honored and to the desire of his heart to be met. He was where, listen to this, this is key. He was where he was supposed to be, when he was supposed to be there, doing what he was supposed to be doing. Now, that may not sound profound unless you really parse it, take it apart. He was where he needed to be, when he needed to be there, doing what he ought to be doing. I always, always think in my mind, if I had not been in church January the 9th, 1966, when I walked the aisle and surrendered to ministry, what would I be doing today? Or would I even still be here today? I'm so thankful. I was in God's house on God's day. And I walked forward on that. So are you where God wants you to be, when he wants you to be there, doing what he wants you to do? Did you notice while he was doing what he was supposed to be doing, there was a host of people praying for him? And you know what? I don't take for granted your prayers. When you say you're praying for me, that means a lot to me. More than you could possibly understand. I thank God for those of you who pray for my wife. Pray for me. Pray for the Webb family. And pray for, uh, uh, 
Fred and, and pray for Bobby's dad and, and, and all of them. Pray for the praise team. That I pray that every, every, just about every week, I pray that God will use the praise team and God will anoint the singers and that they will, they'll present the, uh, the gospel in the way that would be honoring to the Lord. I pray for those who run the sound. Pat talked about them last night and, and how important they, their job is. I pray for the nursery workers and for the teachers in the classrooms and for the greeters out front because the greeters are the first, usually the first people that people run into. And if the greeters don't do a good job, the people might just turn around and go down the street somewhere. So righteous people don't live in an ideal world, but they can enjoy God's perfect timing. Third point is this. Righteous people can be surprised by God. Uh, I should say righteous people will be surprised by God. Luke chapter 1, verse 11, there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Well, I would guess so. Have you, how many angels have you seen that you realized was an angel? See, I'm not talking about your wives, guys, okay? That's a good sentiment, good thought. But uh, uh, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. I don't know. Maybe you look at your wife and you're troubled and fear falls upon you. I don't know. Maybe, maybe she is an angel. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, which means given by God. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink neither wine nor strong drink, and will be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, John would lead many to repentance and conversion from idolatry to turn to the true God. I'm sure that Zacharias was blessed to be able to be lighting the incense, but that wasn't all that was about to happen. Zacharias saw an angel, and he was fearful. The angel reassured him, and Zacharias was given the promise of a son who would be the forerunner of Christ. He was promised joy. He was promised uh, that the, he would be a special son, that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would turn the world upside down, he would prepare the way of the Lord. God often surprises the righteous with special unforeseen blessings and subsequent responsibilities. I was surprised when God called me to preach. My friends in high school were shocked when I told them God called me to preach. The blessings haven't stopped. What has God called you to do? Will you do it? regardless of the less than ideal circumstances. So righteous people do not live in ideal situations. You can check that box. But can enjoy God's perfect timing, check that box, and often are surprised by God in special ways, check. Or, number four, righteous people are not perfect, not a revelation. Verse 18 of Luke 1, Zechariah said to the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, my wife is well stricken in years. How in the world is this going to happen? How can this possibly happen? I, uh, my wife is beyond childbearing years. I'm an old man myself. Well, I, I don't know. So Zacharias here doubted. Now, we know that from the text. It says in, in a little bit that he doubted God, uh, so much for being a, a spiritual giant. Spiritual giants don't doubt God, except when they do. His eyes were on the physical limitations instead of a supernatural God. All things are possible through Christ, Right? Did he know about Abraham and Sarah? He should have. That should have been some of his 
teaching, he, he knew the, the Torah, the, the five books of the, of the law. He, he would have known about Abraham and Sarah, but he didn't identify with them. They were, well, extra special, super ordinary, somehow, and he wasn't, or so he thought. So righteous people are not perfect. Number five, righteous people are disciplined by God. Not my favorite point, but a good point. Verse 19, the angel said unto him, I am Gabriel. His name is a transliteration of uh, words that mean the man of God. I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. I am sent to speak to you and to show you these glad tidings. And behold, you shall be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because you believed not my words. So, so I, I think I figured out when Mary questioned the angel, Mary believed, she just didn't know how this was to come about. She, she would like to know how this is going to come about, but she believed. Here, Zacharias didn't believe. He believed, because you believe not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. It took an extra long time, kind of like I am right now, today. And they expected Zechariah to reappear and give them the ironic blessing according to Numbers chapter 6. Normally the priest would remain inside the temple for just a short period of time when he lit the incense and he would come on out. And when he came out, verse 22, he could not speak unto them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them, he made signs, motioned unto them, and remained speechless. He was saying, can't talk. You know, he's trying to let them know that. So Gabriel emphatically underscored his official capacity. He said, I'm, I'm the angel that stands in the presence of God, and I am come to reveal something to you. I, I'm here on behalf of God Almighty. And Zacharias was silenced because of his doubts, but also as a sign of pending prophecy. Gabriel said, you'll speak again after the child is born at the appointed time. So the people, when he goes out, see the results of God's discipline on Zacharias in the fact that he cannot speak. So Folks, I want you to know something. You cannot, I cannot get away from God's chastening as God's child. When I do something that's wrong, God will discipline me. God will discipline you. It will happen. Uh, in fact, we're guaranteed that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, my son despised not the chastening or the discipline of the Lord. Don't faint when you're rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So when he's spanking us, it's a reminder he loves us. I know, my mom used to spank me. I wasn't reminded she loved me. But later on, I figured out if she didn't love me, she wouldn't have disciplined me, and she would have let me do whatever uh, came into my mind. So whom the Lord loves, he's, he just chastens and scourges every son. This would not meet protocol in the state of California, the way that God does discipline. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you're without chastisement, whereof we're all partakers, then know that you're illegitimate children and not sons. And he said, furthermore, we have fathers of the flesh who discipline us, so why not God uh, disciplining us? Number six, righteous people receive the fullness of God's promises. Gabriel disciplined on the part of God. Zacharias here and made him to where he couldn't speak, but it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed his own house, and after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months. I don't understand. the. I didn't research that, the hiding herself 
for five months, but went away. And thus the Lord dealt with him in the days where he looked at me to take away my reproach among men. So, so Zacharias remained faithful. Now, let me just finish this up quickly. He remained faithful even though he had been disciplined by God. Disciplined by God is not designed to drive us away from God. Discipline by God is designed to bring us close to God. So he remained faithful. He didn't get mad. We have no record of that. He didn't quit serving. He continued to serve. He didn't leave and go to another temple. I don't know who wrote that in there. He didn't even get discouraged. He kept serving God. His discipline made a believer of him. Zacharias responded in the proper way to the disciplining rod of Almighty God. Please, my friend, as a child of God, if you are a believer and God's disciplining you for something, figure out what it is and repent of that and make it right and draw near. You draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Don't run away from him. Draw near to him. What God promised, he delivered. Because with God, nothing is impossible. Creation's not impossible with God. Parting the Red Sea is not impossible with God. Jonah and the whale's not impossible with Almighty God. Walking on the water's not impossible for Almighty God. Feeding 5,000 with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves is not impossible. The resurrection, even from the dead, is not impossible with God. And Elizabeth became pregnant. By the way, that was in the days when, and, 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 and our kids were in the days when Pat got pregnant. We didn't get pregnant. I have never been pregnant. I will never be pregnant. I thank God for that. I have a rough enough time with a cold. <laughs> Elizabeth became pregnant, and what Zacharias had trouble believing, Elizabeth welcomed as removing her reproach. So the question is, are you a righteous person? Well, how do you become righteous? By receiving the only solution for your sinfulness, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, by putting your faith, your trust, your confidence in him for everlasting life. It's the only way. There's one way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. No one. There's only one way. What have we learned today? Righteous people do not live in ideal situations. How many of you do not live in ideal situations? Yeah, okay. Righteous people can enjoy perfect timing. I hope you recognize that from time to time. Righteous people are occasionally surprised by God. I'm surprised almost every day by the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. Righteous people are not perfect. I can attest to that. Righteous people are disciplined by God, that too. And praise the Lord, righteous people will receive the fullness of God's promises. Just hang in there. God will fulfill his word. So sometimes we think these Bible giants were people that we cannot be like at all, but I believe Luke's revelation of the righteous show us that God uses average people, normal people, who come in the power of in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God, whose bodies have become a living temple because the Holy Spirit indwells them. And that happens through faith in Jesus.
as your Savior. Have you ever done that? Would you bow your heads, please? If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, right now is the time when you can do that. You, you don't have to walk down the aisle, though I'd love for you to do that. You don't have to make a public profession, though I'd love for you to do that. You don't have to uh, jump through hoops and stand on your head and spit wooden nickels. You, there's only thing, only thing you need to do is to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you pray? If you've never done that, would you pray these words? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I stand before you guilty as charged. I know I'm going to die one day. Lord, I know that, that that happens to everybody. Unless you come back in my lifetime, I'm going to pass away. And I know I'll stand before you at that point in time. So, Lord, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross for my sins. And I ask him, because you've said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I ask him, Lord, be my Savior today. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me holy. Make me pure. Make me the temple of the Holy Spirit right now. God, be my Savior. I trust you with all my heart, with every head bowed, just for a moment. If you prayed that prayer right now, maybe you said it in your heart, in your mind, maybe you, but you meant it. You're sincere as you know how to be. Would you raise your hand up right now? Preacher, I just prayed that prayer, and I meant it with all my heart. Raise it up high, just for a moment. I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. I won't. I just want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Thank you. Put your hands down. Anyone else? Our Father in heaven, you are our mighty God. Lord, we live in a messed up world. It's broken because... We've chosen to sin instead of obey you. So, Lord, I pray today that we would rededicate ourselves to you, especially in light of the communion service we're about to enter into. God, may we look honestly at our heart and our mind. May we check what our hands have handled. May we examine what our eyes have watched. May we question what our ears have heard and what our mouths have said. And may we, as convicted and maybe even chastised children of yours, come to you boldly right now. And may we say, dear Lord, forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me righteous, Lord. Make me holy. Make me pure because of the shed blood of my Savior. Lord, I pray that you would help us to make that commitment to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask that we stand, and we're going to sing just one, maybe two verses, not a long time, because I have gone over time, and I, my apologies for that. But uh, if, you, if you would like to come and have prayer, I would be happy to pray with you guys. My wife's here to pray with the ladies. So would you just come within the, let's just see one verse. So come in this one verse. I, I mean, you know what? Instant obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Do you know that? Delayed obedience is disobedience. So come right now as we sing this one verse just for you.
about to enter into the communion service, so I would like for our ushers to handle the trays. And if you did not receive the elements of the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine, would you raise your hand up real, real high? Hold it up, and I know a lot of you didn't because we didn't have them out there earlier. So just keep your hand up until they find where you are and they'll give you these elements. Uh, David has requested if you could make the check out to First Baptist Church, that would be the best thing for him, anyone who's giving, and someone is giving already, so we're glad for that. He'll be outside handing out flyers after the service here. While they're passing those out, can I read the bulletin? To, I didn't read it because of time, but I, I love this. I love this bulletin article. You'll have it in print. It says, Mary, when Jesus was a boy, did he swing on the gates of Galilee, bring home foundling pups and kittens, scuff his sandals, lose his mittens, Weight his pockets with a treasure adult eyes can never measure. Scratch his hands and stub his toes on rocky hills where cactus grows. Set stones and quills and bits of thread on the windowsill beside his bed so that on waking he could see all yesterday's bright prophecy. Did he play tag with the boys next door? Tease for sweets in the grocery store. Whittle and smooth the spinning top in his father's carpenter shop. Did he run like the wind to sail his kite? Smile and sigh in his sleep at night. Laugh with you in long lost springs. How about a, about a thousand small enduring things? Is he the one who said that you should always dye your dresses blue? With eyes bright as cinnamon milk, red lips ringed with a mist of, of milk. Did he, lifting up his earthly cup, say, just wait till I grow up? I just love that. He came as a child, came as a little boy, came as a baby boy lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and was crucified by, cruci by that, the Romans and by our sins, and he rose again on the third day, and it's he who we celebrate. Isn't it amazing? We're entering into the Christmas season. We talk about his birth, but here we are celebrating his death because as was said last night in that video, one of the videos, he never told us to celebrate his birth. He did tell us to celebrate his death. As they were communing around that Passover table, he took the bread and he broke it. He explained that that was his body. He wasn't saying it's literally my flesh. He was saying symbol symbolically, it is my flesh. As this bread is without leaven, so his body was without sin, the only person ever to live without sin. And so he said he took the bread and he blessed it. Oh, would you please ask the blessing on the bread? He said, take, eat, in remembrance of me. Next on that Passover table, several different food items that he could have chosen, but he chose the cup. He explained that the cup was likewise symbolic. The bread is symbolic of his 
broken body, the cup symbolic of his shed blood. A little idiosyncrasy I have, I don't like to talk about his spilt blood because I believe he poured it out mm -hmm. freely and willingly for our sins. He became that sacrifice that was typical. The sacrifice in the temples were typical of his ultimate sacrifice. We can't be saved by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of the, the Lamb of God. And so his blood was shed, and he gave thanks for it. Ryan, would you please ask the blessing on the cup? He said, this do in remembrance of me. And then what I love that we do here is we join hands as much as possible. If you're in agreement with doing that, if you'd rather not, you don't have to. We're going to do it as a show of unity, and we're going to sing a song of praise, a very simple song of thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. God bless you guys. Don't leave. Take the chairs out. We've got two dollies out there. Take them out through that classroom over there by the kitchen, out into the patio, out into the classrooms. You can go ahead and stack them up here while you're waiting for the dollies.